Very good. A um, couple things. Uh, do, you, do you enjoy having like a hymn at the beginning of the Bible class? I mean, I, I, I think hymns are, are this marvelous blessing. Of course, we are so blessed with the, the best hymnody in the world. I mean, and uh, LSB is such a treasure to the church. Not that there's not other good hymns outside of LSB, but LSB as a hymnal is, is, a, is a marvelous, marvelous hymnal in so many different respects. Uh, one other thing before I go on, I want to explain. Uh, uh, Mark Wolfram, raise your hand. Okay, okay. Mark Wolfram is doing quite well. We have somebody else named Mark Wolfram, like the drink, um, who's undergoing a heart transplant even as we gather this morning. Um, I looked at my, my uh, phone. I, I had the opportunity to visit him on Friday up at Northwestern. He's been in ICU at Northwestern for almost the last two weeks. Um, they actually have a machine that was, that was uh, partially pumping his heart for him. It's amazing externally. And it's, it's, you know, they, how, do, how do they do all this? And it's just a, it's amazing what they, what they do. But he's been a candidate for heart transplant. He's, he's my age. He's a few months younger than me. So we continue to pray for Mark Wolfram. Some of you, most of you might not know him. If you've been to the last couple of Oktoberfest, he, he brews a pretty good brew. You know, he's got a big handlebar mustache and stuff like this. So, um, okay, having said all that, last week we, we started uh, discussing the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Gave you a homework assignment about Matt to read one of them in, in its entirety, maybe even at one sitting. I mean, you could maybe take a, a break, have a snack or something like this, but... Uh, um, any questions or comments about reading a whole gospel just by itself um, as, in, a, in a short period of time? Any comments, questions? Um, something that came up as, and you're reading one of the synoptic gospels. Or even a, a comment about what was the experience of reading a gospel kind of in a short period of time. Anyone want to comment on that? Go ahead, Dave. That's good. That's, yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, so, so Dave read Matthew. Matthew, I'm doing that for the tape recording here. So that's, that's very good. Good experience, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, they're, they're all meant to be seen that way. What we do with the pericable system actually tends... is. We can't read Matthew 1 through 28 on a Sunday morning, okay? Then um, I guess with the early church we could because the services are always three hours long, but I mean, that's a, our, our, given our one hour, one hour, ten minute parameters, uh, whole gospel is not, not really possible. Any other comments from reading um, a gospel or a question you had that came up when you read something? I mean, because what you notice is certain things you, you expect in certain stories, but they're not there because they occur it may be one of the other Gospels' accounts. Or, yes, go ahead. Ed. I noticed in Matthew, maybe 20% in, he says, and then he met Matthew. Yeah, yeah. So, did he just get the other stuff from the other disciples, like everything before he yeah. going on? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, well, first of all, I mean, uh, we have to understand the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then also, um, you know, there would have been talking about it, and, and then Jesus himself could have, could have talked about the story of the Magi, because obviously none of them would have been old enough when the Magi come in, in, at Matthew, and so um, perhaps uh, Mary told some of this stuff, because Mary was, uh, would have known 
I, I don't, it's a good question. We, we don't know how, how Matthew obtained that which was said by Jesus apart before his call. But it's very interesting that Matthew is called. And of course, Matthew's profession as a tax collector. Uh, one thing to help you in the Gospel of Matthew, and then also we see him in the other Gospels, Matthew, who is a tax collector. Of course, tax collectors were not popular um, because they are associated with the collection of monies that end up going to Rome, right? Um, and so the, the, the yellow sheet is going around. So if your table hasn't gotten the yellow sheet, it'll keep on going around. Um, so, but Matthew would have been kind of a simple, just a, like a regular, uh, low level. It's uh, uh, Zacchaeus, who's a real problem, because he is called a chief tax collector. And, and, and how it worked is the Romans expected a certain amount of money from certain areas. So as a chief tax collector, he has a, he has a quota. Anything above that quota is Zacchaeus's. And so Zacchaeus, and so it's a very notorious system because you have the authority of the Roman legions behind you to extort money from, your, from other people. So, so, so to extort and to, to, to take money. And so that's why the story of Zacchaeus and, it's, and speaking about his conversion, actually. Now, now Matthew is not so much as talking about conversion as coming and following Jesus, just like James, John, and, and Peter do from being a fisherman, etc., like this. Okay? Now you notice one thing, which is kind of a little aside, is the wide variety in the disciples. They're all from Galilee, relatively uneducated, but you have a tax collector, you also have these fishermen, but there is one uh, called Simon the Zelotes, the Zealot, who's part of this radical Jewish party that's, that's trying to foment physical overthrow of the Romans. So you have a political radical, you know, kind of wide-eyed radical, coming to uh, be a disciple also. And then hearing um, the words of Jesus not to take up the sword, right? And so it's kind of, kind of interesting. Any other questions or comments? Because obviously I'm going to talk about synoptic gospels today. Yes, go ahead, Keith. So, so one thing, and I, and, and you know, tell Beth, I actually, where's is Beth here? So, the, and I actually use this. So, so in, in Matthew, you have these, and I'll, I have them listed in your, in your notes, five long discourses. Now, the Gospel of John will have long quotes of Jesus, too. John's purpose is different. In Matthew, the key number is these five long discourses. Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels, so that Jesus, indeed, is the promised one of David and Abraham, going back to Matthew 1 1, continuing on the Old Testament from the book of Chronicles, which also begins with the genealogy. So now God has fulfilled his plan in Jesus, who is the Christ, the true Messiah. The foundation of the Old Testament, and I did not speak enough on this, but to really, really understand the Bible. You have to understand the five books of Moses extremely well. The foundation, this is the Torah, the Pentateuch. So in Matthew, we have five long discourses because Jesus is not only the promised Christ, but also according to Matthew chapter 1, he is Emmanuel, which means God with us, who also now gives us five 
speeches. So, so imagine, it's not a quite correspondence. You can't say first speech equals Genesis, second speech equals Exodus, third speech Leviticus, etc. like this. But, but I, I think it's, it's, it's highly helpful to understand what's going on in the Gospel of Matthew is, is again paralleling the foundation of the Old Testament because he is Emmanuel, which, God is, which means God with us, and a little criticism of ESV, that they changed the spelling. How many of you know there's two spellings of Emmanuel? There's E and there's I. In the ESV, they went ahead and, and, and put the I in there, but it actually should be E, because that's the Greek way of spelling Emmanuel. I is, is um, would indicate is the, the Isaiah passage, uh, and as the Hebrew, the, the first word is I. So, okay, so just... Uh, a uh, little bit of um, biblical trivia uh, for you. And it's something I noted when I read the ESV and in the Gospel of Matthew that they changed the E to I. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and potentially John. If we get in the book of Acts, I'm really in trouble because I don't know if I'll be able to say anything. No, I'll, I'll be able to talk about Acts at, at infinitum. By the way, if you're interested in a, in, a, in a group study in the evenings, we have Evening Lifelight. And now we're going to be starting an evening life like uh, talk to uh, Rick Fick, Richard Fick, right here about that. We're going to be starting the second part of Acts. They meet in homes on one Thursday. They will come together, talk about the same lesson with me um, the next following Thursday. And so sometimes the days vary um, because of our schedules. But we'll be doing the second half of the book of Acts, starting with Paul's first missionary journey right there. Okay. So, any other questions about synoptic gospels or just, you know, Pastor, what do you think about this headline in the news? And I'll say, I don't know. And, uh, um, or, or something that, that's concerned you about the faith. I mean, something we did in church today. Um, anything else? Questions? Okay. So, let's talk about the gospel of Matthew. Okay. Um, I try to kind of uh, summarize in a title Matthew. Jesus, God with us, the true Messiah and Savior for all nations. Matthew and John are both part of the Twelve. Matthew is a tax collector. It's a gospel written to Jewish Christians showing that Jesus is the true Messiah. And by the way, Messiah and Christ are the same word. Messiah would be Hebrew derivation and, and Christ would be Greek. Just like, um, you know, Joshua is Hebrew, Jesus is Greek. Okay, but it's the same name, okay? Um, and we, ha we carry this on, you know, in, in other languages. For example, Ian and John are the same name. One is Gaelic and one is uh, English. And Johann, if you're, if you're German and you like music, right? Okay, um, so, so he's the king, he's the true Messiah and the true king promised in the Old Testament. The genealogy of Jesus begins the gospel. He's the legitimate descendant of David and Abraham and the fulfiller of all the promises given to each. So he is Emmanuel, God with us. This is Matthew 1, 23. One, quite, one little helpful way of looking at Matthew are these three passages. Matthew 1, 23, which quotes Isaiah chapter 7. Okay, and he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, so so it actually tells you what the word Emmanuel means, God with us. You know, the last, by the way, if you've ever seen the Old Testament, the last two letters being E-L, that's from the Hebrew word Elohim, which means God. If you ever see the last two letters A-H, that comes from Yahweh, okay, which is the Lord, okay. 
and then you have and you have derivations of, of that in the first um, and then the first part will be a, another word saying God has done this etc like like this okay so um, now the very last words in the Gospel of Matthew are what I am with you to the end of the age who's with us Emmanuel and we're going to talk about this ending of Matthew. The, these last few verses, I, I have to just speak about these last few verses of Matthew and the, and the, power, and, and the powerful words of Jesus after his resurrection to his disciples in Galilee, by the way. Um, in Matthew, Jesus never appears to the disciples in Jerusalem. That's unique. Um, and so, so I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in the middle, towards the middle of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in your midst. Okay, so Emmanuel, God with us, who's with us to the end of the age, where especially is he with us in the divine service where two or three are gathered in his name. Okay, so it's very important. So, so the Sunday after Easter, he's still going to be with us. How's that sound? You know, the, the, like this year we had church right after Christmas. Well, he's still with us, right? Okay, so he's still Emmanuel, God with us. Okay. So he's the promised Messiah of Israel. So he quotes from the Old Testament very often. Matthew is the gospel that quotes most often from the Old Testament. <clears throat> For me to comment on each one of these quotes would be way out of my range right now. Um, I've done some work in, in each of these gospels, but Matthew is very, very fascinating, the Old Testament quotes. But also most likely to say, as it is written, using a formula and quoting directly uh, from the Old Testament. Okay. So, in, so Jesus is the true promised Messiah in word and deed. Hence, you have these five discourses. So you have these long discourses, but you also have the, have the Jesus bringing about in Matthew 4, 17, is this marvelous passage, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, by the way, question, why does Matthew say the kingdom of heaven is near versus... Mark and Luke will say the kingdom of God is near. It, it kind of reflects kind of the Hebrew or Jewish respect for the name of God. We've talked about before that, that for example, in the Old Testament, um, whenever you, you see, okay, my, that chicken scratch up there actually is Hebrew, okay? So whenever you see the four letters for God's name, Yahweh, you would, um, you would instead pronounce it like the Hebrew word for Lord, okay? And so this is why, if you ever seen your Old Testament, you see L-O-R-D capitalized? The, the, the Hebrew, it's the four letters for Yahweh, but Lord is how, they, they, they honored God's name so much that they would even say Lord as opposed to saying Yahweh, okay? So, so honoring God's name, so Matthew would say kingdom of, we have kingdom of heaven as opposed to kingdom of God, okay? Um, so that's one, one thing going on right there. So I already talked about uh, the Pentateuch, the five, uh, five great discourses, and here they are, the Sermon on the Mount, the uh, speaking to the Twelve, the parables of the kingdom of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 has these parables where Jesus also goes into the intention of the parables, and the intention of parables, Jesus, when he speaks parables, largely the crowds are, what? And then privately tells his disciples, 
And so, largely, now it's not that Jesus does not want people to follow him, but largely people don't. And so the parables are true so that those who know about the kingdom can understand the kingdom better, but those who are outside ends, ends up running right off them. So seeing they might see, and he, seeing they would not see, and hearing they would not hear. So he quotes Isaiah chapter 6 there in Matthew 13. Um, also, um, uh, Matthew 13 is really the excellent way of, of beginning um, to understand uh, the end times and, and, and other things like that. Okay, so now you have in Matthew 18 the discourse on the church. There's that, that famous passage we're not going to go into. If, some, if my brother sins against me, what should I do? You know, take, my, take a witness with you. And what if I, he doesn't then take it to the church? And, you know, where we get this idea of, of excommunication from the church as a form of church discipline. But in reality, they, it's, it's an acknowledgement that they aren't part of the church anymore. But now we have to love them enough and speak the gospel to them enough so they would come back. We never want to see one person lost. Okay? Um, then you have the seven woes, the eschatological discourse of Matthew 23 to 25. Okay. I said earlier, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew is the Jewish Messiah. So unique in, in Matthew are these passages that indicate that the Gospel is for all. Matthew is the Gospel that includes the story of the Magi. By, by the way, if you really want the Christmas story, you're stuck with the Gospel of Luke. Not stuck, Luke, I love Luke, okay? The Christmas story came to pass in those days, etc. like this. Um, Matthew, the actual birth of Jesus, is kind of an appendage to making sure that Joseph is going to marry Mary, right? And he gave birth and named his name Jesus. That's pretty much it, okay? And then you have the coming of the Magi to Bethlehem. And when... We don't know. Jesus has to be over 40 days old because it has to be after the presentation in the temple and up to two, two and a half years old. But it's magi from the east. Notice, and of course you've heard my spiel on this, what word am I avoiding when I describe the magi? I'm just avoiding wise man because the, the true wisdom is the wisdom of the cross. And, and magi, if you look in the Septuagint, they're the ones who cannot interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream in the book of Daniel. And so the Magi are only wise because God has revealed his son to them directly. Okay, so you have Magi, the centurion, whose faith is great in chapter 8. And by the way, in the Gospel of Matthew, the only people whose faith is commended are these Gentiles. You have the Canaanite woman in chapter 15. By the way, that just hits you. It needs to hit you right between the eyes. Um... She's not called a Canaanite woman in, in the other Gospels. But here in Matthew, she's a Canaanite woman. Same areas. Why? In the Old Testament, who's the enemy of Israel? The Canaanites. And here she, she just wants, and, and by the way, Jesus' words to her, you know, that, that the dogs don't eat from, the, I mean, aren't allowed to eat from the table are not meant to be judgment, but rather that she would confess her faith. And, and so... And so we see that the gospel is even for Canaanites. And of course we have the, the centurion who confesses, surely he's the son of God on the cross. And then the great commission, go and make disciples of what? All nations. And, and the word, uh, don't scratch your mind, nation right there, i.e. borders, i.e. You know, capital, i.e. 
whole taxation system, legal system, you know, no, it's, it's ethne right there, you know, all ethnicities, all people groups, all tribes and stuff like, like this, okay? Um, um, by the way, one thing I did not do, and you see this on the cross, Matthew's portrayal of the cross, um, as well as Mark, is the, where Jesus only has one word from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In both Matthew and Mark's account of the crucifixion, Jesus is derelict, suffering for your sins all alone on the cross. So he's quoting, obviously, um, Psalm 22. But that's where you see that passage, and there's no other passages. There's none of this, you know, John and Mary at the foot of the cross, thief on the cross. No, it's Jesus being crucified. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's, that's uh, both in, in Matthew and Mark. Um, both those Gospels are more closely related than, than the other Gospels. Okay. I'm going to shut up for a moment. I've been talking very quickly. Anything about the Gospel of Matthew that you want to hear before we move on to the, the close of Matthew? I want to do, talk, talk about these four verses at the very close of Matthew. You know, um, and then I, I want to um, kind of just go in, start, start from there to, to uh, um, go into the um, Gospel of uh, Mark. Let's see how far we get. By the way, next week, uh, Pastor Malius will be here in Bible class, and I'll be back the following week to continue on. I'm hoping to, you know, finish, you know, kind of help you to look at, so that when you read these Gospels, you have more of an understanding of what you're reading. And if you haven't read one of the Synoptic Gospels, do that this week, and then maybe also before we come back, read the entirety of the Gospel of John. If you can, as close to one sitting as possible, it'll just, it'll, it'll open your eyes. Just read the Gospel of John. By the way, if you read the Gospel of Luke, challenge yourself, read Luke in one setting, take a break, take a snack, walk around the block, and then read Acts in one setting. Now, you're talking about something that'll fire you up, just reading Luke and Acts together, and that'll make your day. Okay, make your week, make your month. Go ahead. Yes, Ed. One thing I think I've known before, but I've forgotten what I was thinking about was that John the Baptist being referred to as, you know, confirming that that was Elijah. That yeah, seems yeah. like a pretty big thing. There's like two sentences on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, what did I say? Um, yeah, he is Elijah who's to come. You see this in Malachi. Malachi, and by the way, the ladies' life, right, will be studying Malachi starting this week. Um, and so in Malachi, at the end of Malachi, that, that Elijah will come. So John the Baptist is Elijah come, although he's not Elijah reincarnate. I mean, he, but he fulfills the office of Elijah, um, who is to prepare... And, and call the people to repentance. If you remember Elijah's whole ministry, miserable ministry, by the way. Lord, what do you want me to do? Tell the people that they're sinners, okay? Well, I gotta go live and be fed by the ravens, right? And then I gotta go live in, 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 in famine with this widow, and then I gotta challenge the prophets of Baal, and then you're gonna have Jezebel try to kill me, and, and then, oh, go to Mount Sinai, and then you know, get up and go to work again, you know, and so that's a, Elijah's ministry, but he's very blessed. I'm, 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 I'm being a little bit flip about Elijah's ministry, but that raises the question that, that I've not pursued entirely, I've pursued it a little bit. If John the Baptist is Elijah, who does Jesus correspond to then? Elisha. Okay, so, so you, you, and uh, um, now, to an extent, also Elijah and Elisha, you see parallels in the book of Acts with 
Peter and Paul, but that's a whole nother, whole nother issue right, right there. But, but I, and, okay, and I'm sorry if I bring too much in, but you, I, just, I just love thinking about the Bible. You know, I just love thinking about the Word of God and seeing all these connections between the Word of God. But John the Baptist is Elijah who prepared the people and called them to repentance. His is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But John's baptism, Jesus gives his baptism, as we'll see right now at the end of Matthew, after his resurrection. So his resurrection, it, now when our baptism, we get the complete Jesus, crucified and risen, we're baptized into his death and baptized into his resurrection. Now in Matthew chapter, chapter 28, you hear these words. Okay, um, okay. And the, and the 11, they went into Galilee, into the mountain, which had Jesus had commanded them. And, and I'm just going to kind of loosely translate it. And, and as you're seeing him, they, they, they prostrated themselves, they worshiped him, but they doubted. How many of you in this Bible has some in there? I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm looking, it's not there. The word some is not there. And now, now, this describes a Christian life so well. How many of you have come out of church, felt like you could walk through a wall because the Lord is so good to you? Yes. By Sunday evening, you're... Who am I? Why am I saying these things? Why am I doing these things? You know, do you even exist, Lord? Or, or you know, all sorts of things. You know, we, you know, and we go back to this marvelous passage in Mark 9 where Jesus asked the father of the demon-possessed man, do you believe that I have power to heal? And he says, yes, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And so they, they believe, they worship, but they doubt, you know, because resurrections just don't happen right. You know, here he was, derelict in the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he's risen, he's appeared to us. Okay, and, and, and coming to them, Jesus said, said to them, saying, It has been given to me all authority in heaven and upon earth. Therefore, going, make um, disciples um, thoroughly teach all the ethne, the, the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to hold on, to treasure, to keep, all whatever I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you all the days until the completion of the age. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Okay, all authority has been given to me. He is God with us, so all authority would have been given him. But notice who is speaking right there. Um, it, is, it is Jesus. Jesus speaking to them. Jesus is his earthly name. Going back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 25. At his circumcision, we know that from Luke, he's given the name Jesus. Jesus is the name of an earthly man. Now, obviously he's true God and true man, but now because he has successfully paid for the sins of the world, suffered, died, and risen, conquering death, now he is glorified, not even according to you know, his, his being, but also because of his work on the cross for you and me and his resurrection. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so when I speak, God is speaking. And I speak now also because I have successfully done my ministry. So in your going out, he's speaking to the, to the 11 right now because we haven't, Matthias hasn't been at. So, so as you're going out, so this is kind of like a, an ordination of these apostles. As you're going out, you're going to be making disciples. But how do you do that? Two things. You're baptizing and you're teaching them everything. 
Not just a little bit, teaching them everything. Now notice in the baptismal formula, it baptized into the name, singular, but what type of name is it? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The mystery of the Trinity right there. Isn't this, a, this is utterly amazing? I mean, to think about it, the triune God, the, the depth of the theology right there. And then this word, you know, teaching them to treasure, to hold on to everything I've commanded you. Um, Jesus, the words of Jesus found in Matthew, likewise Mark, Luke, and John, how many of those words should you forget? How many of those words should you know? All of them. But those words are built upon the entirety of the, of the Old Testament, right? So God's word is a treasure. And so this is what something I, I, I speaking in the sermon. Um, just have your, let the, we see this in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be filled with the word of God. It's amazing, you know, I, once in a while I talk to somebody and, and, and they, they give some, you know, questions and stuff like this, and, and, and I'll ask them a question back, and I said, you know, have you read X, Y, and Z book of the Bible? And then, uh, and then, and, and say, you know, if, tell me, what, if you read this whole book of the Bible, would that, is that even a question? You know, for example, we, we see also pagan habits in our society. If you read scriptures, would this even come up? I mean, it doesn't even come up because you, because scriptures definitely give you an answer. And so in the case of the Corinthians, as the epistle lesson today, they, their outside world, the Greek world, could talk about this. Why would the Greek world doubt the resurrection? But if you read scriptures, would there be any reason to doubt the resurrection? No. He died according to the scriptures for your sins, and he rose again according to the scriptures. If you're thoroughly enriched with the word of God, you're thinking like a Christian. You're just filled with the, with the Word of God. And so, so Jesus, this is Jesus that he, that he wants his disciples to teach everything he commanded. So I, as a pastor, am duty-bound to teach everything that God commands in his words. And then the promise of Jesus that I'm with you all the days, are, and even to the completion of this age. This age is going to end, but Jesus is going to be with us always. And that's a comfort and a joy. And, of course, then we'll see him face-to-face -face in the next age. Okay. Wow. I'm supposed to get through four Gospels today, so, okay, okay. Um, any questions, comments about Matthew? I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to apologize because I hope that you see that there's so much in each one of these Gospels, and each one of them is so precious. Okay, so we're going to go on the Gospel of Mark, okay? Mark is pretty easy. Mark 1.1, 1, 1. the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Mark is a close associate of Peter. He is the young man, we think this is a signature, he doesn't name himself, but we're pretty sure it's him, who runs away naked in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, there's a young man, you know, otherwise, why, what? You know, it's the only gospel it occurs in. There's no other passage like this. It's Mark's signature, just like in John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John never names himself, but we know it's John, the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved in the Gospel of John. So, so but Mark, um, and I, I was going to, you know, quote from Papias, this, or Papias, this long quote, you know, about Mark being the associate of Peter, and that's how he got this Gospel. So, um, but a couple other things about Mark. The house of John Mark's mother is where Peter goes to when he's freed from prison by the angel in, in Acts chapter 12. 
We know that John Mark accompanies Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, but he fails miserably. It's kind of an interesting story. So when the second missionary journey is going to take place, they're getting ready for the end of Acts chapter 15. Paul says, he ain't coming with us, Barnabas. Barnabas says, no, 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 no. He's repentant. He's good. He'll be an ally to us, an asset to us. No, 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 no. No way. He deserted us in Galatia. Oh, no, no, you got him wrong, Paul. They split. That's why it's Barnabas, it's, it's Paul and Silas in the second missionary journey. And we don't know from Acts 15 who is right at the time. doesn't tell us. We know there's a big dispute between, between Paul and Barnabas, but we do know that later on there's a reproachment between Paul and Barnabas, but even better, we know that, that, that Paul treasures later on in his ministry Mark, as a, as a close associate and as a true blessing to him. So just a little bit about Mark here, okay? Um, so Mark shows that Jesus indeed is the promised Christ and that he is the Son of God. And so this, this thing, so when, at the end of Mark, in Mark 15, the centurion would say, truly this man is the Son of God. We've been building up this whole gospel to hear the words of a centurion that this is the Son of God. But, but Jesus has been by deed and word, been doing this the whole time. So notice I switch. In Matthew, I said he is the Christ in word and deed. Five discourses. In Mark, he's the, he's the true promised Christ, the Son of God, in deed and word, because Mark is an action-packed gospel. It, it has much less quotes of Jesus. Um, Jesus is doing so many, many things. It's a fast-paced gospel. Mark begins with the ministry of John the Baptist. None of this prologue, none of this, like, beginning of the gospel, and, and then set, verse 2, in the wilderness, there's Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord, you know, Mark 1, you know, I didn't quote it exactly correctly, Mark 1, you know, 2 and 3, and then, and then John the Baptist is baptizing, and, and if you read Mark, and, and it's really, it's really quite stark, especially in, in Greek, because He's like a little child who wants to tell you everything. Have a little child and 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 it's all these ands. Everything's and 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 then also the other word in Christian Mark one and two is immediately, immediately, immediately. So you get this just this this overall something that this is very important. You gotta pay attention to this now. Because this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay. And so it begins with the ministry of John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, so there's going to be fewer stories and much fewer teachings, but quite often in Mark, his description of the story will be more vivid and more details in the story. And I apologize, I can't find that for you right now because I was writing about four Gospels this week, not investigating everything I remember somebody telling me about the Gospel of Mark, okay? So Mark especially... It's something called the Messianic Secret. Now, we have been imbued with this thought that we've got to tell people about Jesus, right? Evangelize, right? Tell people about Jesus. Now, sometimes incorrectly, like um, if you don't, as soon as your new neighbor moves in, walk on their, knock on their door and says, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? I mean, you know, no, no, no. That's, that's not what is true evangelism. But, and so evangelism is not to be guilted into that you've got to speak you sin, long gospel, every time you talk to a person. But rather, you and your vocations, as you live faithfully, will have opportunity to speak about the hope that is within you. So do not feel burdened 
by speaking the good news, but rather, as you have occasion, speak the good news, but, but this is not your office, the office of evangelist. Does this make, make sense to you? Okay, so this is very, very important. Don't be guilted into any of this, okay? But, but what we see um, in, in, in the Gospels is Jesus telling disciples, out and out, be quiet about this. Why is this? Because if they speak about Jesus now, they'll get Jesus all wrong. You know, uh, you have this marvelous thing, especially in the Gospel of Mark, and we see this in Matthew also, where who do people say that I am? All these bad answers. Who do you say that I am, Peter? And then, um, and then, I don't, let's see if I can find it real quick, in Gospel of Mark. Um, oh, wrong chapter. Okay. Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly warned them that they not say anything to anyone. So he says, you are the Christ. But then the very next passage is he began to teach them that he must suffer and die and rise again. And what does Peter do? He says, no, 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 no. And Jesus says, what to Peter? Get behind me. Satan. So, because if you're going to stand in the way of the cross, you're in the way of Satan. Jesus is not some sort of just a miracle worker, nice teacher, good ethical man. You got to have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, true Messiah, crucified for sins, or else you don't have Jesus Christ. And so, Peter, so, so the Messianic secret is be quiet because you don't know who I am yet. And so, this is why you got the, got the centurion at the cross saying, Surely this man is the Son of God. You're not understanding Jesus until you understand him crucified for you. Okay. Um, wow. Okay. Um, so, and I already, I'm in Mark chapter 8. This, Mark 8, Mark is pretty easy to think about. You've got build up to the, to the section at the end of Mark 8, beginning of Mark 9 with the transfiguration. Now you're going to head to Jerusalem. So, so it's kind of very symmetrical gospel. So if you want to find the, kind of the fulcrum of the gospel... It's, it's right here, the confession of Peter, uh, first prediction of his death and resurrection. Um, get behind me, Satan, you do not have the mind of things of God, but the things of men. Transfiguration, where Jesus is in glory, but then he hides his glory, and then he goes down, and we have this, this, um, this, this boy, who they, the disciples can't cast out the demon, where the man says, uh, I believe, help my, my unbelief. Okay, um, by the way, so Peter's confession, the transfiguration, these occur very close in time to Jesus going to die on the cross. So the first part of Jesus' ministry, which from the Gospel of John we think is you know, up to three years, we know relatively little about. If you do a statistical analysis, I, I have no idea where I put it, but at one time I went and you know, figured all the chapters, the percentage of the Gospels. If you start with Peter's confession, and continue on the crucifixion and resurrection, it's by far the majority of the gospel materials if you add it up in all four gospels. Why? Just statistically, you can infer then that the death and resurrection of Jesus are pretty important. And, and by the way, it's not in your notes. Between the ministry of John the Baptist and Palm Sunday, there's only one story that occurs in all four gospels. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Outside of that, 
Sometimes you have three, sometimes two, sometimes only one gospel. And there's a lot of three stuff because the synoptic gospels have the similar outline, but sometimes they don't even all have the same stories. But once you get to Palm Sunday, all the gospels kind of mesh up. Except, I mean, they don't include every teaching, some of this, because they all have Palm Sunday, they all have, have Holy Week, they all have Jesus being betrayed, they all have a Last Supper, they all have Jesus being betrayed, tried, crucified, and risen from the dead, which is the heart of Christian faith, right? And so, so just look at the Gospels, you have to understand any Gospel in terms of the crucifixion and resurrection. You gotta understand Jesus, who's the true Christ, the Son of God, by his death and his resurrection. Okay, what else do I wanna talk about the Gospel of Mark? Ah, the ending of the Gospel of Mark. Okay, um, maybe you should turn this off here. Okay, okay. How many of you are aware, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, you'll see in your Gospel like this big double brackets for nine through 20. Okay. Um, most, the, our, our better and oldest Greek manuscripts in the Gospel at verse eight, where there's not yet been a direct physical appearance of Jesus to his disciples, only the testimony of the angels, and to that testimony these women are afraid. Seems like a weird ending for the gospel. Um, now, I happen to think that that's actually the ending, because we don't know how to handle this, but we do have the testimony of the angels. This is true. The, the Mark 9 through 20, 16, 9 through 20, the vocabulary the, the style is much, much different. Um, I, I believe that these are the word of God because you would have had other words of God circulating in the early church. I think that's kind of got appended to the end of, of Mark. That's, that's Schumacher right here. So I, I definitely don't disagree with any of the teachings of that. Okay, but, but in terms of the original manuscript, and, and, and by the way, I'm following others, you know, James kind of dispute, even in the Missouri Senate, you know, I have my big blue commentaries in my office. James Veltz, who writes his two volumes on Mark, speaks in terms of, of the ending being at verse 8. The general editor of the series thinks it ends at verse 20 and writes an additional section 9 through 20. And so you have in the second volume, you know, um, you know both arguments for and against at the end of the second volume. So this is not a matter of a Christian faith depends on it, but just kind of telling you kind of what the issue is. Okay, it's not like I want to go into the issue deeply, especially because we're at 1045, but it's just letting you know what's going on at the end of Mark chapter 16. Okay, any questions, comments about these marvelous Gospels of Matthew and Mark? Obviously, we didn't get to Luke and, and John, did we? We're going to get to Luke and John and then move into the book of Acts and next time, and then hopefully also two weeks from now, start into, what's this? When Paul does these missionary journeys, what is he facing? What are these early Christians facing as they face a Greco-Roman world? And, and it's really entirely upside down. And it's very helpful because when you walk out of Bethany, you walk into that world out there, it is upside down. I mean, it is, it is absolutely nuts out, out there. The, the basic philosophical worldview, the world out there. And you can see it on display today. I am going to watch a, a, I am going to watch 22 guys trying to hurt each other over a little leather object uh, that, that extends over 300 feet. 
And I think it's fascinating that the football, and what was somebody thinking, you know, they beat each other up, then they take a break, they beat each other up again, they take another break, right? You know, and, and, and 75 million people are going to watch this. And then they're going to watch the commercials too. But I think the Super Bowl is, is just so emblematic of modern America. How many of you are old enough to remember the first AFL-NFL championship game? Okay, in other words, you could have walked up the first one between Packers and the Chiefs, walked in the stadium, paid your 10 bucks, and got a seat day of the game. Didn't sell out. And now, I mean, what, what the scalping price I heard is $8,500? You know, scouting, I'm sure that's nosebleed section at, at SoFi Stadium. And so, but you think about it, there was a point in time before they expanded the playoffs where the Super Bowl would have been towards the end of January. Modern America. First, modern America, and it's just not modern America, it's, it's Western civilization, has to take over Christmas and turn it from, a, from, the, from God becoming man for the sake of saving mankind on December 25th into just, you know, ho, 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 and, uh, and Merry Christmas, and, and, and let's buy as much as we can. And if you can't buy as much as you can, you don't have a good Christmas. Well, modern America has its next, has a new, as soon as the stores as quickly as possible, get rid of that and move on to the next holy day, which is to sell you as much junk food and beer and chips and wings as possible one month later, except now it's pushed into February because they lengthen the playoff. But it used to be like on January 25th. And so this day of mass American consumption, enjoying and talking about commercials, as opposed to the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just a marvelous uh, 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 distinction between the two, two holidays. So, okay, okay, enough passion droning on and on. God bless you. Read a synoptic if you haven't done it so, but read the Gospel of John as quickly as you can. Uh, between now and next time. God bless you. Thank you.